are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors just like you about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. I'm Laura Gregg, and I'm joined with my co-host, David Partain. Today, we're going to be speaking about hiring trends in the advisory space. Is now really the right time to think about adding to your advisory staff or pursuing a position with a new firm? While COVID-19 sidelined hiring plans for many firms, not everyone has put them aside. In a recent survey that FlexShares conducted, 41% of advisors said that they were either hiring through the quarantine or were positioned to onboard soon after. After fielding that survey, I read an article in Barron's titled, Now is the Time to Pursue Top Talent. To talk about that topic, we're delighted to welcome Fran Skinner to the Flexible Advisor podcast series to learn what firm leaders that she works with are doing on the hiring front. Fran wrote that Barron's article that I mentioned, and her insights are regularly published throughout the industry. I've met Fran a number of times at industry conferences and know that she is truly passionate about this industry and helping leaders grow their firms. Fran is a co-founder of AUM Partners, which is a leadership development and talent assessment boutique consulting firm that works exclusively with financial services firms. She is a corporate board member for Fenimore Asset Management in New York State and on the board of Women Investment Professionals, chairing their strategic planning committee. Fran, thank you for joining us today on the Flexible Advisor Podcast. Thanks for having me. Hello, friend. Welcome. Honored to have you with us, join us today. I am not that familiar with the AUM Partners. Can you briefly tell us about the work that you and, and they do and what motivated you ultimately to write the article around leaders pursuing talent at this time? Sure. So we founded AUM Partners about 11 years ago to work exclusively with financial services. That's where I've spent my entire career and that the area that I felt could most benefit from the work I wanted to do, which was helping teams identify each team member's A-game. And by A-game, I mean where they could spend 75% or more of their time doing work that aligns with their natural strengths. So, friend, I just want to make sure you didn't want their C-game, you wanted their A-game? Yeah, yeah, we were looking for their (laughs) A-game because that's what we found is common among the top performing advisor teams that we work with is that they're focused on everyone being in sort of this this best fit role so that they can be what we call leaders at every level, regardless of what your job is, your function, that you're able to be a leader, you're able to make decisions, you take autonomy, you step up at every level. So that's, that's the passion that we have at AUM Partners and me in particular for quite some time. This is what brought me to write this article. So throughout March and April, uh, I was hearing from a lot of people throughout my network in a wide variety of roles that the events of the early weeks of the lockdown were having a really big impact on how they viewed their role, their manager, and even their firm. 
And for me, this was deja vu because I, we had founded AUM pretty much in the depths of the financial crisis. And what we found was that was what was going on back then. People taking those events, the stress of those events, taking a step back, and they were rethinking their careers and their choice of employers. So March and April, I saw it all happening again. And in the article, I wanted to share what I had observed, you know, 12, 13 years ago, that the amazing leaders who emerged stronger and very well positioned from those events, one of the common things that they had in common was that they were only not, not laying people off, but they were pursuing great talent, that they saw there was discontent coming along for some really talented people. And so they were pursuing them. They started having conversations. They may not have hired them right away, although some did, but they used those events and people sort of doing that soul searching. And they looked at it as opportunity, not survival. I've spoken for years about this since when people ask me, you know, what are the hallmarks of the great leaders that I've worked with in financial services? And I, how I phrase it is their radar is always up, always up looking for talent, no matter what's going on, that they're willing to, in social settings, barbecues, block parties, whatever it might be, their radar is always up looking for talent, even if they're not necessarily, you know, have the help wanted sign out right now. I think that's so important. And sometimes we we can lock ourselves into um, crisis mode and not want to look beyond where we are at a, at a certain point in time. And I know throughout the past three months, I've been reaching out as much as I can to speak with a variety of firms, leaders of those firms. And the one thing I've heard that has is that for the most part, the owners of these firms have been just thrilled with all of the work that their employees did, especially early on, but throughout in terms of client outreach. And all of this happening, even while they were newly remote, and in some cases, firms were, some firms were better than others in being set up for that, that change. But you mentioned that employees may not have been overly thrilled with their managers during this time. I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about that. All of the advisor firms, obviously, the advisors and, and their entire team were very focused on the client. That's what they do. That's why they exist. So it was all about client outreach and how to best serve the clients throughout the market volatility and the uncertainty that we were all living through. However, as I told my clients and I wrote about in the April Barron's article that had preceded this one, that it's also critical that managers treat employees like clients during these times too. So finding out how they're dealing with things and how they can be supportive. So the exact same questions that they were calling during the outreach to clients, that they would want to ask those questions of the employees. So I was hearing a lot of stories about employees who didn't feel supported or appreciated I'll give you one perfect example. I'll call, I'll call this person Cal. He was doing a lot of the client outreach in March and early days of April, long days, weekends, and he was having to work all these hours because he was using up the normal time, if you will, for outreach, and he still had actual, his regular work to do. So he was trying to juggle a lot, including partnering with his 
wife in terms of the at-home schooling and everything. So he was really struggling. So after a couple of weeks of this, he got word from his boss that they were going to lay off some of the admin help. Cal went to him and he said, you know, I'd like to suggest that we at the senior level that we take a pay cut to keep the admin help on. He said, I just, I need the support. I need the help. I think we all do. And I think it's a good thing to do to keep them on. And the decision was made that no, they were going to move forward and they were going to let the admin help go. And this really, really impacted Cal because he felt he was already working as much as he possibly could. And that was with admin help and that he was going to lose that help as well when he had reached out with a solution to try and bridge the, the time that they were going through. And I happened to be speaking with Cal on a Friday afternoon and he said to me, he said, you know, if I send you my resume on Monday, he said, I'm going to work on it over the weekend. Would you do me a favor and give me some feedback on it? Because he said, basically, once I get through this, he said, I, I, this is not going to leave me, this experience and these choices that were made and basically lack of appreciation for what I was trying to do and keep my head above water. He said, this completely changed my viewpoint in terms of my long-term future here. Fran, I think I shared with you and David and I speak of it often, but we're fortunate to be at the organization that we are at, uh, which is Northern Trust, because from the top down, the, uh, the focus is on the human element throughout this crisis. And, uh, and um, you know, I think all of us are, are doing above and beyond what we were doing back in pre-COVID days. So I'm sure that Cal is not the only one feeling like that. And, and that's unfortunate to lose talent like that for, you know, a reason that, that there was a potential other solution for how should managers that have employees that may be feeling a little bit bruised, how can they correct the situation now? Or what should they be doing, even if they don't think they have those employees, but perhaps they may have those employees feeling as Cal did, but not bringing it to their attention? Right. What should they do? I love that word bruised. I, I love that that happened to be the word that you use, because I think that's exactly right. That as managers came out of survival mode out of March and April, and you know they realized that it wasn't just something that was going to be going on for a few weeks, that it wasn't just about survival. Now we had to turn back around towards day-to-day, continued growth, all of that. Some of the managers, some of my clients, they, they realized. They realized what it cost people. And they started making efforts to address that. But I also had others that didn't pick up on that because all they were focused on was getting back to normal. They just kept thinking, let's just tread water until we get back to normal and not really paying attention to what the last few months had cost their team mentally and emotionally and physically. So in terms of addressing that, what I've seen and what I've encouraged my clients to do, first and foremost, understand where each member of their team is at and how you do that is one-on-one conversation using open-ended questions and just listen to hear what they've been going through and how the manager can support their re-entry, you know, what I call it, their re-entry into this is the new normal for a while and eventually will morph into something else. And so the best way to get that conversation started is the question, what are your biggest concerns right now? And don't qualify that. Don't put parameters on that. Just asking that question and see what bubbles up for each team member. 
just sit and listen and acknowledge that they're being heard. Secondly, this one is huge and, and this is the one I'm, I'm sort of evangelizing about and that's being creative and flexible regarding reentry. Let team members know that this is not business as usual. No, you know, even those that might be lucky enough to be going back in the office because we still have the virus concerns, childcare constraint, public transportation challenges. There's a lot of managers who think everyone just wanna be back in the office and be like them. You know, we'll get back to the way things were in February. And just over the weekend, I was reading something from Gallup that said those people who were able to do work from home throughout this, that only less than 45% of them want to go back to that normal, quote unquote, normal life. For managers, I'm encouraging them to be open to be a mix of remote work and creative scheduling because that's what might be needed for people still dealing with a lot of these things down the road. One manager, I, I consider him my poster child, he met with each person, asked this open-ended question, heard what their concerns were, and creatively, collaboratively, came up with how the summer would play out for each employee and made a commitment that said, this is how we'll work it through August 31st. And at the beginning of August, we'll have this conversation again and we'll plot out what September through December looked like. His team was just so grateful that he heard them, realized they were all dealing with a lot of different things going on and that he gave them some certainty as it related to what they could expect for the summer month. That was really, really helpful. And so that would be a big thing that I tell people is just sit down and have those conversations and see where everyone is at and how they can be supportive. Hearing that, it brings me back to the conversations that I've had with so many people over the past five or six years specifically as it relates to millennial talent, how, how it's so important to be open to flexible schedules. And, and, you know, I think we can say in this industry, so many advisory firms, that just has been a non-starter. And so I, as somebody who's had a flexible schedule for 20 years, just know how important it is to me being able to run my personal life and my business life. What do you think? Do you think we'll see more remote structures throughout the industry? Or do you think in a year from now or post-vaccine, we'll get back to the back to normal requirements of being in the office? So it's funny, the article that I wrote in February to be published in March was entirely about the need of this space, advisor space, my advisor clients, to open up to the creativity and the possibilities of flexible work schedules, whatever that meant, you know, remote or different scheduling, et cetera. So I wrote this brilliant article back then. And of course, it didn't get published because then I had to pivot and write something more timely. But even in that article, I talked about part of what will bring diversity to our industry, to our space is recognizing that we do need some more creativity and, and flexibility around these schedules. And you work for 20 years, flexible work schedules. I have two going back to when I first started having children, but that's part of how you keep people in the workforce, not checking out and you attract people who that's important to. And as we've seen in the research, millennials in particular, that's very important to them. So yes, I think these events have accelerated what needed to happen. And it's a matter of, are people going to 
see that and go along with it? Or are they going to stick their, you know, heels in the ground and say, by golly, no, I want to go back to the world I was in in February. Yeah, I love that example that you gave before. And Laura being on my team, Laura, if I use it, you'll know where I got it from. <laughs> got it from Fran. <laughs> there are no new ideas, right? <laughs> <laughs> So I could tell you, friend, that I am actually feeling a little bruised, depending on the day, even overwhelmed, because that three-hour commute where I used to have my time to myself, kind of, hour and a half in the morning, hour and a half at night, that I used to have every day, and now it's actually, I'm working on the, uh, during those times often, so it's a, like a 30% increase in productivity for me. So for potentially overwhelmed leaders seeking new talent that they're like in the future, what should they be doing right now? What I always tell people is that your eyes and ears should always be open in terms of talent. This is a story from my own, my own life is, you know, someone had reached out to me, I didn't know them. And I was, you know, doing an informational call with them and they happened to be making a passing comment and they just used a first name. We'll say the first name they used Sharon. And they were like, oh, my, you know, my friend Sharon and, you know, this terrible thing happened at their farm. They took away a third of her budget and, and that's going to trash her strategy. And she's very upset about it. So, you know, she wouldn't identify who Sharon was, but I was listening and I knew where this person was located. And basically, you know, it was like a, a mystery for me. And I figured it out who the person must be. And it was a very well-regarded person. And I found someone that I was, that was a mutual connection. And I reached out, I had got an introduction and reached out, asked her to meet me for coffee. And at coffee, then she was sharing all of these things with me. And I'm not a recruiter. I don't get anything for this, but I am passionate about wanting to help people be in their A game and and so I put her in touch with someone that I knew could definitely use her. And it ended up working out. It was a beautiful match. And this a couple of years ago, and it's going strong. And all that was, was someone that kind of cold called me and wanted to do an informational call. And it ended up that I was able to be a conduit to bring two people together and, and help someone be in a happier situation. So that's a big thing. That radar should always, always be up the and then sort of along those lines, and I referred to it as informational interviews. You know, sometimes people roll their eyes at it when I talk about how important those are. And what I talk about the talent, recruiting talent, is it's a courtship. And it all starts with sort of like the dance, the introduction, and let's talk a little bit. And, and sometimes that starts with these informational interviews. So being open to those, a lot of times people don't want to make time for that. It's like, oh, just somebody who needs a job. But you'd be amazed really how powerful those are in terms of networking and how they can pan out to something that you might need down the road. And then this one, I use this myself all the time, and that's casually reconnecting from people with people along the ways. You know, in the early days of when this all hit, people didn't want to hear from consultants like myself, and I didn't want to come across that way. So I just was sending out notes and just, you know, I'm here, I'm, I'm here for you. Let me know if you just need anything and be amazed how many people just took me up on that, that they just wanted to do a call. It wasn't business. It wasn't coaching. It wasn't anything. They're just like, I just really needed to see that email today and, and let's do a call. So I always encourage people to think about that people from their past, people they've lost touch with that they just want to want to touch base with. That would be another big one. 
And one more thing, and, and I do want to pause there and just say all these things I'm talking about, when we talk about you know, the, the leaders in these top advisor firms that I work with, it isn't just that they're doing this, it's that they're creating a culture of this, that they've encouraged, they've created a culture and they're dri driving their employees to everyone being an advocate and on the hunt for that next great hire at the firm. It's everyone throughout the organization understanding this isn't HR's job, this isn't the top person's job. It's my job too to always be on the lookout for someone. So Fran, do you find that LinkedIn is a good place to do that reconnecting? Absolutely, absolutely. One thing I'm religious about is each week reviewing those updates, you know, what happened in my network. And when someone posts things like that they've changed jobs or something's going on, you know, or I see a story in the newspaper about something going on at a firm. I will go out into LinkedIn and I'll see, you know, who in my network works there, might still be there, et cetera. So if you manage LinkedIn, if you're not just into LinkedIn to have the most contacts, but if you manage it as a robust database that you're willing to work constantly, that is a very powerful tool. Yeah, no, I... I've sometimes looked at the uh, the amount of connections that I had, and I feel like a, a winner. But you're right; if I'm not utilizing all those contacts, it's uh, really not as uh, effective for me. Yeah. And the last thing before I leave that that question, when you were asking, like, what should be they doing now, thinking about talent down the road? And one thing I, how important framing is, mental framing. And again, you know, when I look at the, the real winning, winning leaders that I work with, they mentally reframe events like the last three months as opportunity versus survival. And, you know, a lot of people, they kind of poo-poo that, you know, this mental game exercise, but it's amazing. It changes your body language. It changes your decision-making. It changes the way you come across to people on Zoom or on the phone or whatever. So... What I encourage people to do is sometimes people go there naturally, those opportunistic entrepreneurial kind of people, but some people that's not where they go naturally. So I tell them, as you go through your day and different things are thrown at you, just ask yourself one simple question and say, if I were to view this as a potential opportunity, what would this look like? And that's it. Just ask that question, maybe just to yourself, maybe toss it out to your team or someone else. But so many times, particularly right now under stress, you're just like, you know, I can't be thinking about that. I'm just trying to get through each day. And so it's just this very simple mental exercise to reframe things to opportunity versus survival. Yeah, that's good. Laura and I have often talked about this being a real opportunity. And that's partly where the podcast came out of was a time like this. Let's talk a little bit about opportunity. While the market has regained much of its early losses, obviously there's still a lot of us that are concerned about the economy. So what advice would you give a manager who may have found shortages in staffing recently, but is not quite ready to hire? Should they be looking at new talent now? And if so, how do you keep someone interested for a prolonged period? What I encourage my clients and even before all of this happened, I'm always trying to encourage them to sort of look at things in two different ways. The first is timeframes, different increments, next six months, next 12 months, next year. What do things in terms of timeframe, 
what do you think that looks like? Now overlay that with some different scenarios. So right now in today's world, the scenarios might be a rebound. Are we looking at a steep V shaped? Are we looking at a U shape or square root, whatever, hockey stick? So we sort of have all these options in terms of how things may play out. And you overlay that onto these scenarios. Take that, that if we're not looking at just today, that's a big thing. The second is taking a very frank look at the team. And right now is the time to be doing this. I can't tell you how many of my clients that I've spoken with have been surprised across the board in different ways by how their team has played out. A lot of very happy surprises, superstars emerging where they never dreamed that they would. People who showed themselves to be adaptable and creative, and that's given them a lot to think about now as they think about these different scenarios and the different timeframes. It's also shined the light on some people who were less than adaptable, maybe even plateauing, in terms of their skills and where they fit into the organization going forward. Undertaking all of that, that really frank look at your team today and these different scenarios playing out over the shorter and longer term, identifying the gaps. Then thinking about how do I be a winner and not just a survivor? When I plug those gaps, how do I be a winner? Once you have those gaps, start having informal conversations in your network maybe even informal conversations with recruiters. You don't have to sign up with them. You just have to get a conversation going. Many times recruiters are, you have a relationship with one. They are wonderful about sharing information, what they're hearing, et cetera. And if something comes up down the road that they can reach out to you and then formalize an arrangement with you, but just sort of putting the, the message out there in the universe to some people in your, in your network. And then the last part of your question you'd asked about keeping people interested. You want to have your radar up, but you're not willing to make a move anytime in the, in the next 30, 60 days. So the big key there is just somehow keeping the ball rolling with people. Let's say you come across someone that unless they have something pushing on their end, that they might be interested in having some conversations with you. So you have conversations, ideally, maybe even in some different settings. Last week, one of my clients said that he had taken it as far as he thought he could between the telephone and Zoom. So the candidate was local. So he invited him to his home to have a coffee on the back deck, six feet apart, but they were on the back deck. And it was a different way to keep the ball rolling just a little bit, show he's still sincere, etc. And then if you want to keep it rolling even further, you know, if you do some sort of psychometric testing, whatever that might be for job candidates, have them go through that. They know that costs money. They know that that's another step towards commitment. In my world, that's where all of the business has been. People aren't really into leadership training or anything over the last 90 days, but we're overwhelmed with the requests for the job candidate assessments because people are want to keep balls moving. And so that's what they've been doing. That's the big thing is that just that there's some movement and that you set expectations. Well, thanks for the call. I'll be in touch again within three weeks or whatever that might be. The key is not to go dark on people that they may not be willing to move right now either, but keep the conversation going and just don't go dark.
those are really some great ideas. Thank you uh, so much. And, you know, as you're aware, Fletcher's recently published a survey that we conducted pre-COVID, the end of 2019. We wanted to understand whether advisors were focused on building teams and, and how diversity played in those teams. So we, we surveyed advisors and we also surveyed investors to, to find out if there were any disconnects. I'm curious, since you are talking to firms very regularly about their hiring practices, I'm curious if you're seeing or hearing that firms are looking to add diversity to their teams, I I think especially after what's been going on for the past month. Yeah, so that obviously, you know, we've seen and heard this a lot, that this has been a focus on, on advisor teams for a while. And if anything, everything over the last 90 days has only heightened how important it is that you have a diverse team that's able to connect with clients and prospects on many different levels. So it might be gender, it might be generation, it might be culture, it might be anything along those lines. And and I also include whenever I'm trying to get people to think very broadly about diversity, it's also things like personality and thinking style. So the risk-taking, the optimism, the stress management, because you want to be able to match all these things up with prospects and with clients. So this is another area that I'm encouraging my clients to think that word opportunity. So if you're willing to be flexible, that you're, you're in terms of your uh, willingness to have remote workers and the difference in scheduling, et cetera, that expands your pool of talent exponentially beyond just those people who are willing to work traditional schedules and live within commuting distance of your office. And so when you expand the pool of potential candidates, that's where the opportunity for diverse candidates start coming into play. And then one more thing on this topic, and this has been something for quite some time, I've I've spoken at events about, I do a lot of one-on-one on this. And that's when we talk about diversity in this space and the advisor space at all, I'll get calls all the time from people, clients or people who heard me speak and they'll say, you know, hey, I, I need I need diversity on my team. Do you know anyone? And I'm like, well, who I know I can't tell you about because they're with my clients and, you know, and I wouldn't do that. And secondly, moving the deck chairs around doesn't improve diversity. That's all that is, is just everyone stealing the same 17% of women, whatever that number is, just moving those deck chairs around. What I've seen work at firms are the ones who understand that it's about growing your own and investing in talent at an early stage. So the ones who reach out to colleges and have relationships with the colleges and offer internships and opportunities to students and then hire those students. Obviously, as you go through this, you have to be skilled at being able to assess future high performers, so the DNA, et cetera. But that's how you make a difference, is this whole invest in, whether it's career changers, we've seen this in the advisor space, a lot of career changers, someone who went into some other field and decided that they were called for various reasons to switch over to the advisor space. So someone being open and willing to invest in someone at that stage and most definitely having relationships and being open to investing in young people. And that's how that's how we bring diversity to our industry is 
it's not about stealing somebody that you have and bring them over to my firm. It's about how do we increase the numbers and the, and the diversity in our industry. Such great guidance there, and I agree with all of it. And we recently recorded a, a podcast with the with Chandran Thomas, who is the president of Northern Trust Asset Management, and he spoke uh, about the importance of of all of us going into communities that don't look and feel like us, whether that's professionally or just doing community assistance or or whatever, but to expand our own personal network so that we get to meet and have exposure to other types of people and then to bring in from the outside diverse hires, no, no matter what that diversity is, whether it's gender or race or LGBTQ or, or whatever. But what you said aligns perfectly with uh, the case that he was trying to make. So thank you for that. So Fran, as we're getting near the end, and as it relates to finding top talent, what takeaways would you offer to firms? First is to let go of the belief that you only start looking for talent when you're ready to expand or replace a departing worker. I play tournament poker. In a, in, in a normal world, I love to play live tournament poker. And what I always tell my clients is if you only put out that help wanted sign or post a job on your website when you're ready to expand or replace someone, in poker terms, that's like saying I'm sitting here with a hand of cards. That one card out of the 52 that I need to give me a winning hand, it's going to come exactly when I want it to come. And as someone who's played a lot of hands of cards, I can tell you that rarely happens. Absolutely rarely happens. So how you can get that worker that's the high potential, high performer, good cultural fit, all of those things that you're looking for is that you're looking for it long before you need it. That's a huge thing, is you're sitting there and you're just waiting for that precise moment. You're thinking you're going to buck the odds and you're going to get that perfect person at the, at the right time. The other thing is, you know, I had mentioned it earlier about, you know, you, got, you have to be looking down the road in the various timeframes. What talent will I need before your end? What do I need in 2021? There have been a lot of things that bubbled up for people over the last 90 days that revealed that they need help. And I've seen people, they have done the recruiting and the hiring and the interviewing and the onboarding all remotely as things showed up that they had gaps and they couldn't wait to, to close them. So some people, they were reaching out to us and say, well, we're not ready now. You know, I'd never hire someone I, I couldn't meet in person. And I encourage them, I said, you know, you've got to try and start letting go of some of that. And then the last thing is being flexible about your vision of the team. I have a lot of clients who literally they're just, they're just sitting there thinking it's about, it's just a matter of time before we can go back to exactly the way it was on February 15th. And I really, I'm trying to get them to be open-minded and forward-looking and understanding that to be a winner, to come out of this as a winner. You need to be adaptable. You need to be creative. And that's difficult for some of them because many of them have been wildly successful under a particular business model. And that's wonderful. However, that business model may not be what brings them their next level of success going forward. So that would be my third and final point on that. Well, three great Three great ones to share with us. It must have been tough this last few months getting a poker game. However, I have to have to think. 
No, no poker. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining us today and sharing your informed perspective. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. As you can tell, I'm passionate about all of this and I appreciate you letting me speak about it today. Oh, it was great. So if you would like to know more about AUM Partners, just go to www.aumpartnersllc.com. That's aumpartnersllc.com, or you can look them up on LinkedIn under capital AUM Partners. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.